0: Morning. Feel the Holy Spirit. Father, you are welcome in this place. The fact that you love me, that you love each of us, and would want to communicate, to talk, to, to relate, to connect. I don't understand. I know you've given me responsibility. It feels too great. Speak through me. Hide me. Don't, don't... Don't let people see me or hear my voice or hear my words. Let them hear your voice. Will your spirit be so powerful and thick in this place? that we can walk out of here and we will not be able to deny that we were in your presence. Let us tremble this morning, God, because you are here. You are real. I don't know what these people need. I don't know what to say to them. Let your spirit speak. Let us have ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to your church today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to sit. This morning... Every Sunday, I get up before Melanie, for the babies, for the other kids. I get a shower. I go downstairs. I drink a cup of coffee. And I prepare. I study. This morning... I almost didn't come to church. Not because I didn't want to be here. Because I felt God's Spirit. It's like working and speaking. Our relationship with Him. to grow and know more about him. Prayer is a perfect example of the mystery of God. If you've grown up in church, you've probably witnessed and heard and observed and even participated in prayers all the way from, you know, like God's neat, let's eat. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. Like if you're, take that to the next level, it's by his hands we all are fed, right? You know this. Now I lay me down to sleep. We've all prayed those prayers as children. And then we begin to pray for our needs. And even children, you know, when I was a children's pastor, I remember seven and eight-year-olds coming to me and saying, you know, Pastor John, we we just pray for my dog or pray I I scrape my knee, like these, these little needs, but why? Because they're children and they're just told to give God everything that they need. And so they do because they have faith. And then we grow and we become adults and our needs become, they seem to be greater. And we lay them at God's feet or maybe you've had the encounter with God where you are just broken before him, praying in desperation, body shaking, sobbing, not even knowing what you're saying, not even knowing how the spirit is praying through you. Listen, there's a spectrum. And the challenge is that familiarity can bring contempt where I just say, well, That's just prayer and it is what it is. Paul says that I pray in the Spirit at all times. All times. How often have I just checked the box? How often do we sit down and pause to think about the significance of what prayer really is? I am one of 7.5 billion people that are alive on this earth today. Going back to creation, I am one of tens of billions of people that have ever lived. I live on one planet in a solar system of nine planets. That solar system is 7.4 billion miles wide. And it exists among, it exists in a galaxy where there are 30 billion other solar systems. And those solar systems equate To a galaxy that is 621 quadrillion miles wide. That if I started today and traveled at the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second, it would take me 105,000 years to get to the other side of the galaxy. And the universe is contain, or contains 100 billion galaxies. That again, if I started today traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second, it would take me 93 billion years to make it to the other side of the galaxy. And my God is so big... That not only does he have the whole world in his hands, but he's got the whole universe in his hands. The Bible says that the universe is in the span of God's hand, from his middle finger to his thumb. And this is a God that chooses to connect with me. That knows how many hairs are on my head. That knows my needs before I do. That knew me before I was ever born that has always, always loved me. Praying in the spirit is taking a moment to realize the significance that God who lives in unapproachable light invites me to approach him in prayer. That the God that spoke the universe into existence chooses to speak to me. In the Old Testament, his presence was in a separate room, in a separate place from all of the people. Only one man, one time a year, was allowed to go in to that place. But now, because of what Christ did, there is no limit. We can be in his presence all the time. Praying in the spirit means I recognize in my spirit who I am praying to. You might say, well, John, I'm not worthy of all that. And I, would, I, I understand. I really do. And I think that that statement is often made out of Humility. Because we look at God and how perfect and how holy and how awesome He is, and we compare that to ourselves who are so weak and imperfect and and, and just stuck in our sin. How could He choose to love us? How could He choose to want to be in relationship with us? I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. But be careful in saying that you're not worthy. I understand and can identify with the humility in the statement. The issue becomes, because I have heard people that are out of the church say, well, I'm not worthy of that kind of love, so they reject the connection that they were created for. Listen, God paid the ultimate price. His son came to this earth was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He was beaten. He was whipped. There was a crown of thorns that was driven into his skull. He was nailed to a cross. He shed his blood. He died on the cross. He rose again on the third day, all because God chose to say, John, you are worthy of a relationship with me. Peter says that that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. God says to Peter in Acts, we're going to talk about it later, he says, do not you dare say that something that I have declared as clean to be unclean. God calls you worthy this morning. you hear me? God is telling you that you are worthy of his love, not because you deserve it, but because he said so. Praying in the spirit is walking in that mystery, is taking that moment before I give my list of, of concerns to God and saying, okay, you're God. I can't believe you want to be in connection with me. I can't believe that through your spirit, your presence inhabits my body. You see, the phrase that Paul uses when he says praying in the Spirit is the same phrase that is used in Romans chapter 8. He says, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Praying in the spirit means praying by means of the spirit or through the spirit. And it is through that spirit that I have received the spirit of adoption. That because of that spirit, I am made the child of God. And so when I pray in the spirit, I am praying in that relationship that God has given me. And I recognize that he is my daddy. And that he loves me more than than anything or anyone could ever claim to love me. It is by that spirit that I pray it means that I recognize the significance of the relationship and connection that God desires to have with me that I'm praying to the God of the universe the God of angel armies God almighty Elohim Yahweh the great I am And he chooses to call me his son. He chooses to call you his child. That's a mystery. It's a mystery. That he is so big. And yet he loves me so much. See, the mystery of praying in the spirit is realizing that through God's spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. Father. And through that same spirit, we recognize, hallowed be thy name. I remember a few years ago, at least that's when I started to notice it. People started in their prayers, referring to God as daddy. And I'm just going to be transparent with you. It annoyed me. It annoyed me. I felt it was too familiar. What praying in the spirit means it means walking in that healthy tension between realizing that God is not just a heavenly father who is distant but he is Abba which is the relational term for father which is my daddy. He is the one that loves me even more than my earthly father ever could. So, a healthy tension exists between recognizing this familial relationship that God wants to have with me and then acknowledging in that same breath, in that same sentence, that He is holy. That He is holy. Praying in the Spirit means that I I balance these things. And when I come to God, I don't take it for granted. I acknowledge it. I acknowledge. Abba, Father, hallowed be thy name. See, Paul tells us that every time we pray, we must pray in this way. How often have I sat at a meal and checked the box to pray before that meal because my children are watching? I love my father-in-law. Well, we'll we'll be at my mother-in-law's house with our family. You know, we're gonna have a big meal. And we all get together and we hold hands before we pray. Nine times out of ten, my father-in-law ends that prayer in tears. Because to him, he's not praying for his food. He's praying to his God. He's praying to his Abba. He's praying to hallowed be thy name. And in that place, he recognizes that he is praying to the one that has met his needs, that has provided for him. That that prayer, even the prayer over his food, is an opportunity to experience connection with a holy God. When Paul tells us that we must pray in the Spirit, the implication is that there is something opposite to that. And the opposite of praying in the Spirit is praying in the flesh. Praying in the flesh means that I have rejected the mystery of God's desire, of God's desired connection with me. When I pray in the Spirit, I am focused on myself. Or when I pray in the flesh, I am focused on myself. When I pray in the Spirit, I am focused on God. So here, if your prayers have become self-centered, you are not praying in the Spirit. Paul warns, this, this, this letter is written to the church in Ephesus. We remember that they are a church struggling, that they have abandoned their first love. They are fighting a physical battle, not thinking about the spiritual battle. And Paul says, pray in the spirit at all times. Keep your focus on the one that you call God. We have to approach God with humility. Francis Chan says that this is being not just dependent on prayer, but being dependent in prayer. You know, I think it, it's, it's a nice Christian thing to say, and I agree with the statement that we are dependent on prayer. Meaning, I need, I need prayer in my walk with the Lord. I think that's a fair statement that we can agree with. The point that we need to realize, and where I believe, I know I have missed the mark, is that when I come to God, am I dependent in that place? Am I saying to God, I need you right now because I am about to pray? Teach me, Lord, how to pray? Praying in the Spirit is acknowledging. Remember, it keeps my focus on God and His power and who He is. So praying in the Spirit means that I I set aside my flesh, I set aside my pride, my arrogance, my thought, that I know what these people need. I know how to pray. No, I don't know how to pray. Paul even says that we don't know how to pray. In Romans 8, later in that chapter, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So the same Spirit that facilitates our connection with God, our identification as His children, it's that same Spirit that then helps us in our weakness. He says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That same Spirit that facilitates connection helps us in our weakness. So with humility, Paul says that we must realize and admit that we do not know how to pray as we ought. It says the spirit knows how to pray according to the will of God. It doesn't say John knows how to pray according to the will of God. We need to acknowledge that. And in prayer, so praying in the spirit means I take that moment, I realize I am praying to the God of the universe. He loves me and he wants connection with me. And I reflect on that mystery. And in that place, I say, okay, God, I need you to teach me what to pray for. I need you to tell me how to pray. You see, our sin of self-reliance is destroying the efficacy of our prayers. Because we are going to God and just giving him a list of needs. God, this is how I want you to act. This is what I need you to do. Why are we taking him the, the, the answer when we haven't even asked him the question? We must go to him The Bible tells us that we approach God's throne of grace with confidence, not arrogance. Approaching his throne of grace with confidence means that I recognize in my spirit that when I pray in the spirit and let the spirit praise according to God's will, that God will meet my need, that he will intercede for me and that it will be to my benefit. Praying with arrogance means that I bring God my list of requests and then expect him to, to meet those needs while I pray in the flesh. Jesus addressed a very similar topic in Luke 21. He said, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Now Jesus... He's specifically talking and speaking about the end times when, you know, those of us who are, are Christians, you know, we're going to experience persecution. And he says, don't settle it in your mind what to say beforehand because you're going to be focused on the answer, not on the mystery. He says, don't settle it in your mind beforehand, but I will give you the words to say, I will provide wisdom that your enemies will not be, over, be able to contradict or overcome. How much more does that message apply to Our prayer. How much more does that lesson that I need to, when I go to God, it's not just, okay, I've thought about these requests. No, I need to think about who I'm praying to. And ask Him, how should I pray? Teach me how to pray. I want your will, not my will. Not even just, what is your will for the situation? The description is, God, how should I pray for this situation? There's a difference and it's nuanced, and we must acknowledge our dependence in prayer. Paul says, every time, every time. You know, we think about the disciples, and it might be easy to scoff. In Matthew chapter 6, where they go to Jesus and say, Teach us how to pray. It might be easy to look at them and say, Where have you been? Like, how have you not been paying attention to Jesus? How have you not watched him pray? How have you not watched his teaching? Did Jesus chastise the disciples for their question? No. You know what he did? He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to pray. And how did he begin that prayer? He says, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You see, he was already giving us the, the description and understanding of that tension that exists between he is our God and he is holy and he is our father. It was always Jesus's intent that when we pray, we, we walk in that mystery and we walk in that difficult tension of, oh, you're my father, but you're God. And what that means is I must be dependent on, on you, The answer to both of those questions is I'm dependent. You're my father, I'm dependent on you. You're holy, I'm dependent on you. You're both in oh. We can't look at that question and say that it's elementary. No, that question is necessary for each and every one of us. How do we pray every single time? Every time you pray, reflect on the mystery of, of God's desire to connect with you. And in that reflection, acknowledge your dependence on God every time you pray. Clearly, you know what God is dealing with me about. Every time. Every time. This better helps us understand, or helps us to better understand the times when Jesus says that if you pray according to my will, it will be given to you. Or in Psalms where it says that God's going to give you the desires of your heart. Those statements were made with the expectation and foreknowledge that we are praying in the Spirit. And that the Spirit is praying on our behalf according to God's will. You see, the Bible is perfect and it is connected. And so we understand that these things must be true. He knows how to pray for our circumstance, and he knows how to work it to our benefit. I just want to take a minute and ask you a question. How would your prayer life be different if you applied this? How would your prayers, every single prayer, be different? Like, how would you talk differently to God? How would you address him differently? How would your attitude be changed? How would your focus be different? How would the pace of your prayer change? So often we give God these drive-by prayers. And listen, I'm not, I mean, when, when, when Peter was walking on the water and he began to sink, I mean, he quickly, Jesus, Right? Right, so there's a time and place for those kinds of things, but when that becomes our practice, we're praying in the flesh. You see, what 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 I believe that God is telling us today is that when we take the moment to pause and reflect, and we acknowledge our dependence, it automatically turns our prayer into a conversation. Because what I am doing is I am saying, God, you are holy. God, you are my Father. I am dependent on you. Teach me how to pray. And then we listen, we shut our mouth and listen. It can be easy to say God you are my father, God you are holy. I'm dependent on you. Teach me how to pray. Blah, 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 blah. It can be easy and just continue on. Take the moment to listen. Prayer is a conversation. It's not a monologue. The beautiful part That we see is that in that place, our flesh will not be what is praying, it will be our spirit. That the spirit that facilitates that connection, that helps us in that weakness, will then be communing with the Holy Spirit of God. And in that place, transformation can happen, change can happen. What a beautiful mystery it is to pray. What a beautiful mystery it is to pray. Now to take that mystery one step further, I want to talk about where it says the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that we don't even understand. Listen, what happened at the beginning of this service, you can ask the people in the first service, it didn't happen that way. It wasn't practiced, it wasn't rehearsed. There have been times where, it was actually over the summer, we were pray, we were, I was preaching from the same uh, passage we were talking about in the Identity of a Christian series, how we must walk empowered by the Spirit. And I remember, I remember that day so vividly. It was during the invitation that I felt God telling me, quit standing here, turn around and Pray. I had something pressing on my heart and God said, why don't you give it to me? And I turned around and I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. I think the only words that I could even like say was, oh God. But I felt the Holy Spirit interceding through me, praying for me. I felt that connection with God. That is what it means when it says that that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that we don't understand. Listen, when we release him to pray, he will pray for us and through us. This conversation often will lead to a discussion around tongues and we need to have that conversation. Because when you look in the early church, it, it, it was there, it was all over the book of Acts and all over the New Testament. To help you understand that mystery, I want to take you back seven years. Seven years ago, I was an associate pastor at another church. And this time, seven years ago, God was dealing with my heart and with Melanie's heart that it was time to transition. Now, I had been at this church since I was 10 years old. We were there for 22 years. When I was in the youth group there at 15, I was called to preach. I preached my first sermon there. And I had been in in some form of leadership from late in my teens up until that point. And so when God is calling us to a new place, that created a lot of anxiety and and question in our mind. And I remember it was November-ish time frame that that we were feeling this leading. And and I remember that Christmas, we were at my mother-in-law's house, and Jonathan and I were in the backyard, and he started telling me about Kings Avenue. And he told me, I say, like, John, we've got this you know, great thriving Awana program, but our, but our youth group, we don't have a youth director. We don't have a youth pastor. And he wasn't trying to get me to become the youth director. He didn't even know what was going on. He was just sharing the need. This might be the first time that I've publicly admitted this. I had previously told Melanie, I'm not going to Kings Avenue. Don't ever do that, by the way. Because look where I am. (laughs) But I remember that conversation. God would not let me forget it. I told Melanie within a couple of days, hey, I had this discussion with your brother and I kind of feel like this might be where God is leading us. And she said, okay. And so I called Jonathan, I called Brother Chuck, and we had a number of conversations. One of the conversations that I had to have with Brother Chuck was about the Holy Spirit. Because I, I have seen God use the Holy Spirit and demonstrate his power. And I wanted to understand where Brother Chuck stood. Because if, if I was going to be under him in ministry, because I was looking at that youth director position, I needed to understand And he said something to me that was so profound. He said, John, who am I to limit how God can and will communicate with his people? You see, in Acts chapter 2, the church was all together and in one accord. And as they were praying in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God descended on them like tongues of fire, and they began to speak in other languages. The people around them said, these people must be drunk. Listen to them, rambling, babbling. Others were like, hey, they can't be drunk, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. And they began to listen, and they realized they are, they're speaking my language God used the Holy Spirit to demonstrate and confirm the story of the gospel. And 3,000 people were saved. Listen, if I was airdropped or airlifted into the jungle, surrounded by a a group of people, without any language training, you know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for Acts chapter 2, and you will too. You see, we must be careful about limiting God. The early church was guilty of this. Well, the Jews, they believed that they were the children of God and that no one else would receive that. That that belief had infiltrated into the early church and they believed that salvation was theirs alone, baptism, and then, you know, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, there was a day when Peter was up on the roof of the house that he was staying. And he was tired and hungry, and God let him take a nap. And in this nap, God appears to him in a vision, the same vision three different times. And in this vision, there are animals coming down from heaven. It was beautiful, like bacon, just pigs, and, 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 and other, other animals that we love, but Peter, you see, God says, are you hungry? Peter says, yes. God says, kill and eat. Peter says, God, I have never eaten anything that doesn't align with your law. I have never done this. God says, kill and eat. Same vision, second time, third time. God says, Peter, don't you dare say that what I declare is clean. Don't you dare call it unclean. And he says, I've given you this vision Because there are three men coming to take you to go share the message of my truth with a Roman named Cornelius. So Peter wakes up from this vision and what do you know? Like right at that moment, these men are at his door confirming that God was speaking to him. And Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He gets to Cornelius' house and he, he comes into the gates. Cornelius just comes and like falls, like melts at Peter's feet. I'm going to take you back to Second Chronicles chapter six. God had just finished, or Solomon had just finished building the temple. And at the beginning of uh, Second Chronicles chapter seven, Solomon says a relatively brief prayer over the temple. And it says that God's presence descended on the temple like a fire. The, the, the sacrifices that the priests had brought, they were all consumed. And God did this in front of the entire nation. They are watching his presence and his glory fill the temple and they fall in worship. They were terrified. Terrified, but they're worshiping. Okay, like that's, that's a tension we can like, identify with, like, uh, this is amazing, and, and, and there's a little bit of fear, but God is holy, and so I worship. But that's the Old Testament. What is God's expectation in our time? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you. You. And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You see, just as God's presence descended on the temple in 2 Chronicles, God's presence can and will descend on us, and his glory will, feel, will fill this bodily, earthly temple to a place where I can only respond in worship, <coughs> Excuse me. praying in the Spirit means that we recognize the awesomeness of this statement. That, like the people <coughs> who witnessed what happened in 2 Chronicles 7, who fall. Before God and worship, that we respond in kind. What breaks my heart is that we often treat this truth as if it were trivial and insignificant. Praying in the Spirit is acknowledging the amazing fact that it is God's desire to inhabit your body and your spirit with his presence. Psalms 114 tells us that we must tremble at his presence. How often do we tremble? But in that same verse where Paul tells us to pray in the spirit at all times, the next thought, he continues with a new thought, but that's connected. And he says, to that end, persevere in all prayer and supplication for the saints. And then in verse 20 or 19, <coughs> excuse me, he continues on with a certain list of what those requests are. Pray for the saints. And then also pray for me that every time I open my mouth, the gospel would be preached. My question is, How often are we persevering in praying and providing supplication for the saints? Like, did you wake up this morning and pray for the people that were going to be in this room? Did you wake up and pray that God would meet every single one of us where we are? Did you wake up and pray that God would transform every person in this room to be more like him? You see, we think, well, I pray for the saints because I lift them up in their need. But are you lifting up their spiritual need? Are you lifting them up before God? Praying that God will change them. Praying that God will transform them. I think what we do more of, instead of praying for the temple, we bring a hammer to the temple. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 3, it's on the screen, it says, You are God's temple, and if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Listen, I don't think any of us, if we were there on that day in Second Chronicles when Solomon prayed and God's presence fell, I don't think any one of us would have gotten up from kneeling in worship to go find a sledgehammer and start to tear down the temple. None of us would have dared to do that. But we do that to this earthly temple, this earthly temple. We do that every single day. Instead of making prayers and supplication, we make criticism and we tear people down. We undermine them. We gripe about them. God says, pray for them. Not that they will be more like you, but they will be more like him. You see, we have this armor, and I should have the armor. I should be locked in shield with shield with shield with my fellow believers. But instead, what I do is I take the sledgehammer, and I tear it down, and I try to tear it down. Listen, we do this all while claiming that we want unity in the Spirit. We will never have unity until I put the hammer down, and I pray in the Spirit. I am desperate, desperate for God to use us to make a difference in this community. Not because I want the glory, not because I want you to have the glory, but because our community needs the Lord. Lay your hammer down. Recognize that as you look across this room, your brothers and sisters in Christ are the temple of God just as much as you are. Your spouse is the temple of God just as much as you are. We can no longer carry the sledgehammer. We can no longer tear down the temple. We must pray. We must pray. We must pray. As we look to take our stand against the enemy. Are you always seeking answers? Are you willing to celebrate God's mystery? Will you walk in that place, where there's discomfort because you don't understand? Will you pursue God in that place? Look to Him for answers. Do you recognize the significance of prayer, of what prayer is and what it represents? Do you recognize that you are talking to the person, to the, to the being, that spoke the universe into existence, that you are approaching the one that lives in unapproachable light? Do you understand what that means? that he is your father and he is holy and we are to depend on him. Are you dependent in your prayer, not just on it? Are you making supplication or criticism? As we pray and prepare for an invitation, the next song is perfect. Perfect for what we've been talking about. However you feel led to respond to today, I invite you to do that. If that is kneeling at your chair, if it is coming and pouring out your spirit here, if it is coming to me and asking me to pray with you, if it's going to someone else and asking them to forgive you because you've taken a sledgehammer to that temple, then do it. And do it. Father, You are holy. You are God. You are my father. I thank you for everything that that means. Forgive me for treating that as trivial and insignificant. Forgive me. God, I need you. I need you. We need you. We are here. God, we lay our our souls open. We lay them open and transparent before you. God, teach us how to pray. Teach us what to pray. Teach us the things that are in our life that you want to, that you want to take away, the things that you want, to, that you want no, us to have nothing to do with, God. The things that you want to transform us out of. Let us be dependent on you. Let us surrender to you. Let us release Father, whatever needs that we have, whatever change you are wanting to make in our life, speak to it right now. Let us hear it. Let us know. Let us respond. We love you, God. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for not treating prayer as holy. In Jesus' name, amen.